I want to pray, and then I want to open God's word with you. Can we do that? Can we do that? We're going to turn this place into African-style preaching. Is that okay? Come on. Woo! Come on, ready? Oh, it sounds so good. Let me pray. Father, we're so thankful that you reign on that throne as we have sung. That you stand above the vault of this universe even as you stood over Israel calling us out of this world into a loving relationship with you where you can be our shepherd, where you can care for us, calling us and instructing us in your way for the joy of your creation. And Lord, we cry out to you that you would so work in the hearts of every person here where we would see your majesty and live in light of it. That you would truly reign, that you would not just be a a fiction character in the heavenlies, but you would be a real character who we yield to every day, who we live in light of, who we serve with every ounce of our being. That this church would be a church that is a light in this community. That your name may be great. That our neighbors may be impacted. Lord, I pray that in your, through the truth of your word, that you would instruct people this morning on how they can live in this world in a way that matters in a way that's wise. Lord, aid us and help us. We would ask, we would pray. For your name's sake, we ask these things. Amen. Amen? Well, what a joy it is to open God's word. I want to have, draw your attention to Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 23. I want to make an assumption this morning The assumption is that we live for our king and master. The assumption is is that you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ. The assumption is is that you have surrendered everything, everything to his majesty. That you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and that you are an ambassador of him for his purposes. That's the assumption. If you're not on mission and you're not living radical for our master, this message really makes little sense to you. But if you are the real deal Christian, one who is wanting to live for the cause of Christ and for the mission of Christ to make him known and to bring all people to follow after him, this message is designed for you. And for some of you who have just gotten caught up in the affairs of everyday life and you are not on mission, I want to exhort you right now, get on mission you're not here for yourself you died to yourself you crucified yourself that you might live to Jesus Christ amen so this isn't about you and even as we talk about this message we realize that you have to continue to die but I want to address you as true disciples who are living for a king and his majesty. And this passage is Jesus Christ addressing his disciples, his 12. Now let me just stay up, say up front, this is not addressing us. He is addressing his 12. However, when you see and understand his instruction, you realize that the principles he lays forth are not only true for them, they are also true for, for us. And so I want to draw you to these truths that you might be impacted. In John 15, don't move, I'll just quote it. In John 15, 18 through 20, Jesus said this. 
If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute what? You. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. History has proven this to be true, to be a reality, that the price of truth has often been the price of blood. You can ask Stephen in Acts 7 or James in Acts 12 or James, the brother of Jesus, who was stoned to death. All of these men paid the price. Or all of the apostles who are known to have been died by crucifixion or through, who had endured much persecution. Or we can go to ancient history where Polycarp and William Tyndale and John Huss and all those great men suffered at great costs. But when we look at our current day, we realize that we have entered into a new day, a new era within the church. And today we are still yet enjoying our freedoms, but we can slowly see that the world is encroaching on them, slowly see that we are no longer the popular we are now, the outcast. Intolerance is defining our age. Intolerance toward truth, toward God, toward Christ. And we know when we read our Bibles from Matthew 24, 21, that the greatest days of tribulation are yet ahead. Am I right? And that's why when Jesus addressed his disciples, he continuously reminded them that they would endure persecution. They would undergo much persecution. He even said that in the Beatitudes. After declaring that he was king, the Messiah, he tells them who is actually in the kingdom and he gives these beatas, blessed are the, uh, the poor in spirit, blessed are the, those who mourn and hunger th for, and thirst for righteousness. Those are who are in the kingdom. But one of those things he says is blessed are those, in verses 10 and 11, who will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? For righteousness, just living godly. People will insult us persecute us and say all kinds of evil against us after all they persecuted the prophets who were before you what's he saying he's saying listen as they persecuted the prophets they will persecute you that is evidence that you are actually in the kingdom and if you're not enduring some sort of persecution in some sort of way you need to evaluate am i in the kingdom. You say, what kingdom? In this sense right now, not the earthly kingdom, but the millennial, not the millennial kingdom, but the, the universal kingdom. Christ is on a throne right now, amen? And we who bend the knee to him now acknowledge his universal kingship. If you are in this kingdom, the universal kingdom, you will be insulted. Romans 8, 17 says he declares that the sons of God are those who suffer with him. The great Anglican J.C. Ryle said, laughter, ridicule, opposition, and persecution are often the reward which Christ's followers get from the world. This is what happens of being in this world. Persecution. And what's awesome is Jesus knew it and Jesus then instructs his disciples in light of it. And I think there is such sweet truths that are set here before us. Now I'm dropping you in the middle of Jesus' instructions. This would, if you will, if you were following in teaching, this would be the fourth 
section of Jesus' instruction. He had first told them, told them where they're to go and where they're not to go, verses 1 through 5. In verses 7 and 8, he tells them how they are to minister. In verses 8 through 15, they're told how they're to behave while ministering. And in this text right here, listen, he shares with them the nature of their mission. Everybody write that down. He's sharing with us the nature of their mission and how they are to respond. It's important we understand that because we'll understand that their mission is much like our mission and therefore it demands a certain response. Listen, I believe right here is such incredible wisdom for every one of us as we approach living for Christ in a corrupt society. And so I would pray that you listen with much attention. Now, there are five parts to this instruction. There are five parts. How many parts? So you'll look for five. Now, let me just warn you, the fourth point has points in it. So when you get there, don't get lost on me, okay? And you never want to give too many points, but the wisdom of this text demands it, and so forgive me for that. Let's look together at the first part of this instruction, what I am calling the condition of the mission. The first part is the condition of the mission. Look with me first at Matthew 10, verse 16. Matthew 10, verse 16, he says this, Behold, I am sending you out as what? Everybody together, look at the text, as what? Sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> you got to love that. You can imagine, you're the disciples right here. And we say, hey guys, here's the mission. You sheep, I'm going to send you out in the midst of wolves. How does that make you feel? Yes, all right. Awesome. That's not what you think, do you? We know a sheep was the most dependent, helpless, and stupid of all domestic animals. I'm not calling you stupid down here, all right? And he was sending them to what? Wolves. Wolves were the sharpest animals, the greatest enemy of sheep. Their nature was to come into flocks and attack, mutilate, and devour the sheep. So in light of that, listen to what Jesus is saying. You sheep, I'm going to send you out in the midst of. <laughs> Exciting. According to Jesus, this is exactly where he was going to send these sheep. And let me just say to you, in the midst of this church right here, it's as if we are sheep and out there are wolves everywhere. Sometimes we sit around and we forget the fact that the world are filled with wolves. We forget about the fact that, that out here are people who are ravenous, ready to destroy. We sit around and think, well, I wonder why in the world they don't see this. It's so clear. Well, they have a problem called sin and that blinds every part of them. Am I right? This is obviously not a place that sheep would want to go. But it is the calling of every Christian. It was the calling of these Christians right here to go out into this hostile world of ungodly sin-bound souls and proclaim truth. They were to go out to men who hate the truth, who love sin. And they were to tell them that they were sinners and in rebellion against the creator of this universe. And that their greatest joy was to repent of their rebellion against his supremacy and come and walk in light of him and for their joy. That was their goal. That was their objective. But the nature of this mission is dangerous. We who are powerless people, we are armed with a powerful message being sustained by a powerful God. 
But we should never forget that we are going into a hostile and ruthless world. People who want to tear us to pieces. We can't forget that. We have to let our theology play out. We are not the same as the world. The world hates us and therefore hates are dangerous to us. And so we have to have that in our minds. And that's why Jesus is instructing the disciples this way. Look at verse 17 and 18 with me. In verse 17 it says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts to flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Now, you can tell I'm not going straight through the text. I've taken the truths and I've merged them together. So forgive me as I do that, okay? But when we look at the nature of this mission, we have to first see, we have to also see the fact that these men were told they were going to be handed over to courts to be scourged. The scourge was that 49 lashes. So they were being told that they were going to be brought before governors and kings and mistreated. Every area had its own government. So every major city, you would come in and have its own governance. If there was a problem, they'd bring you before these, these kings and governors. And then they would discipline you. He's telling you right up front, guys, I'm going to send you and you're going to be disciplined with scourging. Yeah, baby, yeah, bring it on. That wouldn't have been the mindset. That wouldn't have been the perspective. Look at verse 21. He says this. Brothers will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. There's nothing more painful than being betrayed by those you love. Nothing more disturbing than those within the church mistreating those who are in the church. But this is part of the mission because not everyone here is even saved. Not everyone who claims the name of Christ is saved. And so even persecution will happen from those whom you love. And look what he says in verse 22. He says this, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Obviously, this is not all, meaning every single person, but by the general populace, you will not be liked. You will be what? Now, this is a real problem within our society because we all want to be liked. Probably the biggest plague we have is our desire to be liked by everyone. Our desire to get close to, to the right people so that we can get opportunities and, and we can get these things or get close to our boss. And so therefore we don't want to be disliked. But according to this passage, part of the nature of the mission is hatred. You won't fit in. You will fit out. You will stick out. You will be uncomfortable because you won't be liked. I know my children feel that when they come and they realize that, oh my goodness, Christians watch R-rated movies? Oh my goodness, they listen to this kind of music? Oh my goodness, they dress like that? And you feel uncomfortable, and so what is it does to you? It makes you want to conform instead of reform the society you're in. Why are they hated? Because your righteousness, your righteous living convicts. Your righteous living it brings guilt upon those who are around you. And therefore they rather tear you down in order to make you change than to feel your guilt every time you come in the door. They want freedom. Freedom from you. 
Freedom from the truth that you represent. Freedom from the master who is over you. And from their inward being, they hate you. And they may not even know why. That brings us to the second part of Jesus' instruction. And that is, the second part is the cause of the persecution. Everybody, the second part is what? The cause of the persecution. Look with me in verse 18b. He says that we are being persecuted for my name's sake. For my name's sake. Verse 22 tells us because of my name. False religion reacts against believers because it is generated by Satan. Governments react against believers because they are under the control of the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. My brothers and sisters, our, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I'll never forget one of the plane rides I had coming out uh, to the U.S. a few trips ago, one guy said, you know what, I'm really interested in Christianity. I, I'm an unbeliever, but I've lived in such darkness that I can see the darkness and its hatred for the truth, and it's actually drawing me to the truth. I thought, well, that's fascinating. My brothers and sisters, Jesus is our captain. He's our master. And Satan hates our master. The world are Satan's followers. So the moment we join God's army, we go from being of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of his son, we are hated by that whole regime. That's why Peter says that there is a roaring lion seeking to devour. His name is Satan. That's why persecution is promised to be there for those who truly know Christ. And that person are call, persecution is called birth brand marks of Jesus, Galatians 6.17, or Christ's afflictions, Colossians 1.24. We're joining in the fellowship or sharing in the fellowship of suffering, being conformed to his death, Philippians 3.10. Why are we persecuted? They hate Jesus, therefore they hate what? Part number three, part number three is the purpose of the persecution. The purpose of the persecution. In verse 18, it's very insightful regarding the purpose behind the apostles' mission. Look at me again in verse 18. He says, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Why? To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. The apostles were to be mistreated for the sake of a testimony to the Gentiles and to the Jews. It was for the sake of a testimony. They were called to, the, to, to persecution for the sake of others. That's why Jesus said, greater love has no man than someone laid down his life for his friends. The heart of missions is us leaving a testimony for the world to see. And what is this testimony? It's the living proclamation or witness to truth. The living or proclamation or witness to truth. It's the proclamation that Jesus Christ reigns on a throne and we serve him and he's the best. That there is a God who reigns. There is a God who rules. That's the proclamation. And it is through suffering 
that that gospel and that message powerfully goes out, it's because persecution bears witness to the validity of our claim. When we are persecuted, it now says you truly believe what you say you believe. The world knows we truly believe something when we're willing to endure persecution for the sake of it. Our testimony shines brighter when faced with suffering. And so the purpose is that we would leave a testimony. A testimony would go forth from our lives to others. But it will come at the cost of yourself. And you will pay the price for others. In the midst of persecution, often the very person you are persecuting is the very mission you're seeking to reach. It's a really important principle to remember that we would never forget that those who are persecuting us are not the enemy. They are the mission field. They're not the enemy. They're the mission field. And a part of grace, if the truth can go in and grace can come, their eyes will be opened. And you are the minister of the message even though they're persecuting you in the midst of it. And so therefore, we are living for the sake of the testimony. And what God does with our witness, we lay at his feet. What God does with that testimony, we don't say, well, well, it seems like I'm being a bad testimony because I'm seen as being intolerant. No, 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 don't you worry about that. You just be that witness And you lay that testimony at the feet of the Lord and let him do with it as he desires. Amen? That brings us to the fourth part of Jesus' instructions. Now this fourth part is the advised reaction to the persecution. The the advised reaction to the persecution. Now, this advised reaction has five reactions, and I really want you to see them because I think it's so helpful for every one of us who are living in secular jobs or who are faced with neighbors and things like that. We need to know how do we respond to all of the persecution we're receiving, and this is a driving reason why I want to deliver this message to you this morning. Jesus advises his disciples in five ways in this section of Scripture. And so here are the ways in which he's doing it. Just incredible advice. Are you ready for the advice on how we're to react in this pagan society? Huh? Don't you get tired on me. Come on now. Advice number one. Ready? Advice number one is be shrewd as a serpent. Really fascinating. Listen up, believers. In the ancient world, serpents were symbolized symbolized wisdom. They were considered to be shrewd, smart, cunning, cautious, And interestingly enough, a Christian was to emulate a snake, a serpent, with those same characteristics of being shrewd, smart, cunning. In our dealing with the unbelieving world, we were to use cunningness, wisdom, I like what John Mack says regarding this. He says the basic idea is that of saying the, that we are saying the right thing at the right time and place. Of having a sense of propriety or good manners 
and appropriateness of trying to discover the best means to achieve the highest goal. It is neither wise nor loving to be needlessly accusatory or inflammatory. When the Pharisees attempted to trap Jesus into defending or condemning the Roman government by asking him about paying taxes to Caesars, he did not take that occasion to vilify Caesar or the Roman government vile, debauched, unjust, and ungodly as they were. He replied simply, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It is neither brave nor wise, neither spiritual nor loving to needlessly incite anger or court trouble. That is so good. I appreciate the Masters University and how they handled COVID in many regards. You don't just say, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not, you have to be careful. These people are wolves. So use what? Wisdom. Be cunning. That's why Paul says, In Colossians 4, 5, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity. You want to be wise. And it's interesting here, being brave isn't just going out recklessly. There was a time I decided down here in college to play paintball. It was a deal. You get this pistol and you get to go out on this field and if you're shot, you get the first 15 minutes are free. If you get shot, you're okay. So I get out on that field and I run like I'm Rambo. I didn't realize that everybody had semi-automatic weapons. So I go out with my little gun and I see all these bullets flying at me. I'm running around. I got shot like 10 times in my rear. Sometimes we approach as Christians that kind of thing. We think that being brave is what Christians are to do. And I think that that is absolutely true. We're to be brave, but we're not to be stupid. We're to be wise and cunning. Second piece of advice that's giving, and I leave these for you to process, for you to write down, because when we strike, we want to strike in the way that brings the greatest testimony to Christ. And that's why I really appreciate the advice here, because when I see people taking stands for things, you're like, guys, let's not lose our testimony over that one. I mean, listen, I understand COVID vaccines. I understand everybody's feelings toward those things. But is that the testimony we're looking to leave? Or can we leave a different testimony? Those things are for you to determine. The point is, is this, you be wise. Your wisdom may not be my wisdom, but let's give each other freedom to be what? To be wise, right? You be cunning in your context. And for some of you in your context, step up. I have a brother who stands against abortion. He is more crazy than I would ever be. And you guys think I'm crazy. And that praise the Lord for that. If that's the calling in which he has, fantastic. John the Baptist, he decided to tell someone they, that they're having an affair. That guy cut his head off. Just be willing to get your head what? Cut off. Was it wise? I'll let you theologians deal with that one. But in in many ways, it wasn't wise. You tell a pagan king he's having an affair and you make it public. It's probably not the wisest thing to do if you like your head. However, he was called to be a prophet and he did carry out his mission. So we rejoice and we encourage them in that way. There's a second piece of advice here, and I think this is really important to those who are called to be crazy. He says this, be, verse 16, be wise as serpent, but what? But innocent as doves. 
A dove represented purity and innocence. I believe this is referring to a lifestyle of righteousness. It is avoiding negative attitudes and approaches. It involves a positive attribute of purity and godly wisdom. Because godly wisdom has no part in anything impure, anything deceitful, anything defiling. We don't play by the same rules as the world. Because we're not leading a revolt, we're leaving a testimony. Amen? And so therefore we always know that we do not go against the laws that God has established in his word. When they revile us, we return with love. We don't hate our enemies, we do good to them. When they revile us, we bless. When they persecute us, we endure. When they slander us, we calm ourselves down or conciliate ourselves. We must represent our message as Paul did, not as coming from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Our behavior must validate our truth, not invalidate it. Therefore, we must live godly in Christ. Your boss is mistreating us. You don't sit around and, go and, and tell them where to go. We actually respond with love and gentleness and kindness to those who are mistreating. And everybody looks at us and goes, wow, that guy is different. That's how we treat them. Because he's not the enemy. He's the mission. We don't get angry. We don't start gossiping and slandering them. We don't start playing like the world does. Instead, we put on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We don't go around telling everybody how bad they are. We go and we, we see how we can serve them and love them and bless them with our kindness. That's how we approach it. The tendency, and I know when you first get persecuted, is to want to Fight back. Don't go there. Don't go there. Be innocent. Be pure. Be godly in your response. In everything. There's the, the guardrails to know how to respond. We don't sin. We walk in God's way. Third piece of advice we must be watchful. We must be watchful. In verse 17, he says this, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts. Beware. We live in a sinful world, so when you go out there, beware. Don't go out like I did, just running out, not caring and not thinking about what the enemy has in their possession. Beware, be wise in that way. The beware means to be on guard, to be watchful, to be perceptive. Jesus is calling us to understand the nature of these men and be proactive to guard yourself against what might happen. Interesting, know that they're still to go, right? They're still to go. They're still, the sheep are still to go, but it's how they go. As they go, they're to be wise. As they go, they're to be innocent. As they go, they're to be watchful, but still what? But still what? Go. Don't be a coward. Go. But go watchfully. Interesting enough, Matthew 7 speaks of don't give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Meaning you need to be wise when you go. Do they want it? Will they hear it? How will they respond? Be really sensitive to those matters. Don't go on a suicide mission. Know the nature of these men as you go to minister. Advice number four is this. 
And this one is funny to me. You must not worry. You must not worry. Look what he says in verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. (laughs) Is that not funny? Come on, laugh with me a bit. And if you look at verse 26, he says again, so have no fear of them. Verse 31, fear not. Verse 28, fear, rather fear him who is destroyed. Don't fear them, fear the Lord. This is such a beautiful advice. You're like sheep going in the midst of ravenous wolves. Beware, but don't worry. Why? You're to rest in God. Rest in his provision. Rest in his character. Because he won't abandon us in our critical hour. Rather, he will fulfill you with the needed words in the moment. Rest in God. No, as Psalm 23 says, that when the Lord is your shepherd, you shall have no what? He will lead you beside the still waters. He'll even cause you to sit and lead you by the path. Let me just not quote. And you need, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need to fear no what? For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me Where? In the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and loving kindness follow me all the days of my life. You don't need to worry. God will help you. Amen. Listen, I don't know where anybody is struggling. I don't know what anyone's challenge is here. I don't know what you're facing at work. But know that God will help you. And you just lay these pieces of wisdom down and exercise them. There are times where you need to just be radical and say, I'm making a stand. This is the time. And you make that stand. And when you do it, don't fear. God's with you. And we're behind you. Leave that testimony. But do it in a way that's pure and righteous that Christ might be glorified. The last piece of advice given to us is also interesting. Look at verse 23. He says this. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the, all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I don't want to spend time on the whole passage. But his next advice is flee to the next city. When persecution becomes so severe in one place and you can no longer minister effectively, leave it and go to the next city. As I said earlier, our mission is not a suicide mission. We're not going to the middle of Iraq and screaming, Jesus can save you. Persecution is never to be sought or it's, it's only to be endured for his name's sake. It's not for our sake. It's not a badge we wear that we're seeking to put on and to tell everybody about, look how per- being persecuted. We're not doing this for us. We're doing it for Christ. So be wise and if it's so, and the persecution is so severe, move, go to the next city. If they don't want your precious truth, move on to someone who will want it. We're not called to be afraid. We're not, we're, we are not called to be unwise either. And when you look at the book book of Acts, you realize that everywhere they were persecution and spread out, God's name and God's word was spread. Even in Uganda, I spent the first three years in one location. Trials and tribulations came. I said, okay, well, God's taking me somewhere else. 
and we moved to Cuba. Mitwe, uh-huh. And I would tell you that there is no place on this earth I would rather be. I've been there 13 years. I've been in Uganda 16 years. And let me tell you, it is amazing. And if I weren't there, I would never know John Mobilu. And everyone wants to know John Mobilu. But look, embrace that trial as you go, knowing God will meet you and he is only guiding you. Let it guide you into God's perfect plan. There's the advice that Jesus gives his disciples. It's advice that I think is still true for us today and very helpful and practical. Put it in your Bibles. Write it down so that you can think through these things and and be calculated in your actions. The fifth part, going back from the advice now to the fifth part, ends with the sweetness of the end result of the persecution the end result of the persecution. Look at verse 22, which says this. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be what? Will be what? Will be saved. Jesus finishes instructions regarding the nature and the reaction to the apostles' mission by providing the amazing promise that in the end of that persecution is salvation. Woo! It is the glory of God. This is what Paul always looked to and Peter always looked to in the midst of trials and tribulation. Not at the trial. Don't look at the trial. Don't look beyond the trial. Jesus is himself. He looked to the prize which was ahead and therefore he endured the cross, despised the shame. We're looking to heaven. We're living to heaven. I love Uganda. But there's trials and tribulations that come with it. That's okay. We're looking beyond it to the day in which we'll be saved. We'll stand in glory. And we can declare the truthfulness of Paul's statement that the present sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glories to be revealed. We will see that glory. We'll experience that glory. We'll We'll have that throughout eternity. That's the day in which we live for. That's what we long for. For those who don't endure to the end, it gives evidence that you were never really a disciple. Remember that. When you find yourself being faced with trial and tribulation and you run and you abandon God and you want to blame God and he didn't, no, 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 no. You see, as according to Matthew 13, some of these things sprout up to truth. But when persecution and affliction comes because of the word, they fall away. Because they were never of us to begin with. And I really believe not many in this room may not be in the kingdom of heaven. Because we don't live for the king. We live for this present world with no affections to the master. We go about our day just like every other unbeliever goes about their day. But the evidence of our salvation is when we endure through all of that and you look back and say, oh my goodness, look how I responded. That is not possible apart from God's work in me. Many years of our ministry in Uganda have been filled with persecution. Those who had followed our story from the beginning know that the first seven, eight years were one massive trial, multiple massive trials after the next. There's not a day where you almost, when you don't have trials, you're like, man, where's the next trial coming from? 
But when you endure it all, and you, it become, you become numb to it all because you realize that I'm on a mission to leave a testimony of Jesus Christ to this world. And it's not me. It's God what? In us. Who enables us to endure to the end. Therefore, those who truly belong to our master endure through all the pains of persecution because they are held by God's love. My brothers and sisters, we all know that we live in a crazy world today, right? But let me just remind us that this world has no hope apart from the message of Jesus Christ. This world needs to know that there is a king, needs to know that his way is the best, and needs you to go out into the roads, into the the streets, and drag them from their sin into God's way that they might know their master. They might bite, they might kick, they might hurt. Stay at it. Our king is coming. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of proclaiming you. Thank you for the privilege of your word and sitting under your feet this morning. As your son, Jesus Christ, instructed those disciples, we get instruction and we praise you for that. Father, we pray that every brother and sister here would live radically for you as their master. I pray that those that don't know you here today, that they can look in their own hearts and say, I'm not truly a believer. I pray that in your grace that you would open their hearts to surrender themselves to your majesty. And may each person here live each day proclaiming the excellencies of you. Through your son we pray, amen.